Why is recorded in front of a live studio audience. I feel like for everybody else other than that town, everyone's like, oh, chocolate snow, that sounds great. Or it also Johnny sounds like Depp a weird sex up? thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> that, that, that'd be a chocolate snow. Um, no. Different. Shelf on his barge. <laughs> and then her secret was to put like chili powder in it, which is my favorite thing in the whole wide world. Is really? Like, spicy, oh, no. No, spicy that's not why. Oh, no. No, you can Look. get right out of here with that. Please. What? She like changed the whole world. She got Look. the whole place back in order. As she someone got... who had brunch with Julia Pinoche once, in that oh, I was eating breakfast six tables away from her. Yes. But we were in the say anything um, parlance. We were doing a communal activity. We were eating together. Um, yes. Please, if Julia Pinoche handed me chocolate and said, here, do you want to try this? And if it had some sort of pepper, be it your cayenne, your Frank's Red Hot. But I'm yes. assuming Julia Pinoche is not putting, you know, Texas Pete's, um, Probably you not. know, yeah, Ring of Fire hot it's sauce like on her some chocolate. Mayan, yeah. Oh, please. Yeah, no, it's and it's been held up to the sun and scattered to the winds yes. for, yeah. Um, right. I would try it. I might even lie and said I like it. But that's not why you eat chocolate is for that. That's hot tang. Come on. Oh, no. no it doesn't no, no. taste like hot tang. No, it's. Um, have no. you tr ever tried it? Have you ever, have you ever tried hot tang? Time? Yes, I have. But have you ever tried hot tang? Like just I sitting in the backseat like of a, a car? <laughs> <laughs> this is why, with your hosts, Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poling. I just, I don't care for it. I don't, no, get it, you know, it's, oh. you're gilding a lily that's delicious already. You know what I'm saying? Hot sauce delicious. I like. That's from a chocolate I like. Family. You're like bringing it into the world. It's not hot, hot sauce. There's a different, I mean, I love hot but, sauce. Right, but no, but it's, it's, it's a spice. Boring. You're adding a element that sometimes, you know, your chocolate ends up in your peanut butter and it's, it's lovely so lovely and sometimes your avocado ends up in your french dressing and you're just like eh, i'm good mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying yeah no yeah. it's not good and mm -hmm. and sometimes your chocolate ends up in your snow and it's not good well it's true but in the movie like alfred molina like mm. learned to live again so he could My... go on and sing no. you know perform sister christian right and do you know Alfred Molina's, Alfred Molina's first movie? Do you know what it was? What? Nope. At the beginning of in the beginning of Raiders and the Lost Ark, he is the throw me the idol, I'll throw <gasps> you the whip guy. I knew it was him, but I didn't realize that was his first movie. First movie, yep. Yeah. I didn't know it was him. And he's asked but me I to call him Fred, but I'm not name dropping. Um, Whatever. <laughs> So again, well, if Alfred Molina said, "Would you like a chocolate snow?" I'd be like, "Yeah, okay." Oh, you didn't do what he asked. If Fred asked you to eat chocolate snow, you do it. Well, because like, look, we have a relationship. I'm going to call him Fred. Please, you should. Um, I'm going but to. if Fred was like, "Hey, do you want some of the? Do, can I give you a chocolate snow?" I'd be like, I, "You know, when in Rome, or wherever right. he lives." All right, let's <laughs> let's get nuts. But on a normal Tuesday. Am I going to be like, yeah, chocolate snow me? Maybe not. 
Puppet making, like many arts, seems to me like something that you are born loving or you aren't. Yeah. Is that true? You don't see a lot of people going, well, I was torn between banking and puppetry. Right, right. Uh, you would think so, but oddly enough, I got into this without knowing I was getting into it. But then, as you say, you know, I think it really was in my blood all this time. You know, as, as a kid, I grew up a lot in uh, my winters in Florida because my dad was a golf pro. So we'd go down to Florida. We spent a lot of time at Disney. And anyone who's gone to Disney knows the animatronics that they have have always been the best. And so as a kid, I would just marvel at those things, thinking, how do they work? You know, one day, could I work on those? Could I build those things? And never really pursuing that as an avenue, of course. And then by circumstance, happen, chance, fate, I don't know. Uh, my wife gave me a, um, a listing off of Craigslist. We uh, just had three young kids. I was at home looking for some work I could do at home. And the Craigslist ad was kind of cryptical. It was more like mechanically inclined, you know, work from home, set your own hours, but it didn't really state what the job was. And I knew it was right here in Clarkston. I was like, wow, that, that sounds good. I'll at least go check it out and see what it is. So I go over there, you know, and it's just, you know, it looks like a regular house. It's in a nice little neighborhood in Clarkston. And uh, you go in and then we go down to the basement and it's just this, you know, huge studio of nothing but puppets and different rooms for different parts of the builds. And I was kind of taken back, I guess. I stumbled <laughs> into this and just like, wow, that's, that's kind of special. And uh, I, you know, we talked for a while and I remember basically my interview for the most part was a box of parts and like an empty head and said, here you go, you know, bring it back to me when it's done. Oh and so, you know, that's, that's kind of how I got into it. It's, and ever since, you know, I, I just love it. It's, it's a really fun, rewarding, you know, project. And they're, and they're also different, but they're just, each one is, is its own unique project, even though they're all kind of the same builds. So what was that like when you first walked in the room? You had no idea what you were walking into. <laughs> were you scared with no context? Or did you immediately kind of realize what it was and go, oh, this might be really cool? Well, and, and, oh, oh yes. Yes, no, indeed. No. Right, right away, you know, it's really cool. You look over on the wall and there's these cabinets, you know, full of puppets, you know, cases full of different parts of the head and there's some eyes and it's, and not to mention the studio itself just has a lot of great memorabilia from um, all different kinds of just art forms in, in general. And so it's just, a, it was a really neat place to walk into. That's awesome. Now we should specify too, the puppets we're talking about are not like a dragon with ping pong balls, eye, ping pong ball eyes. These are very intricate puppets. Yes. Yes. That's correct. Yeah. We don't do soft puppets. All of ours would be considered hard figures. So they're, they're carved out of usually a, a basswood or we do have um molds that we can actually pour them now once we have our you know stock heads that we can recreate over and over again but yes yes everything inside there's no soft parts it's all brass and, and stainless steel inside you know because it has to last a really long time because these things are really collector's items and they're very expensive and so they have to perform well too you know they have to be quiet they can't make noise on stage you're right next to a microphone so you know you can't have clinging and clanging and springs that make noise and so you really have to put a lot into that part they really are instruments i mean that's probably the easiest way to look at them as an instrument that just has the appearance of a little person <laughs> so what are some of the normal features that you 
put into these because I know there's a whole list of extras that is sure. unbelievable what they want to go into later. But normally, what what can a puppet do fresh out of the box, for lack of a better term? Well, every puppet is custom. We don't make any really stock. I mean, we can make a stock figure, but we re- everything is customized. So the customer fills out a form what they want their puppet to do, what color eyes they want, what what color skin, what color hair. I mean, you can pick all of these things out. Uh, some of the more common features, obviously, the eyes move. The, we can make the moves go left and right. We make some go up and down. Eyelids. Eyelids can go up and down. They can go wide, which is a, a different surprise look that they can do. Um, and you can sync them together, or some people want them separate so they can wink. So you have to you know, have two different controls for each, or one control for each eyelid. Um, we can make them spit. We can make them cry. We make their eyes light up. We make their ears wiggle. We've had hair flop up, tongue stick out, smoke coming out of ears. Like you, you kind of name it, whatever the customer wants. We try to figure out a way to make it happen. So if I asked you to imbue it with the urge to rise up and murder, is that possible? <laughs> well, you know, I did work on Slappy before, so uh, there we go. Okay. Like, yeah, we had Slappy brought to our studio to build for the first Goosebumps movies, and so uh, I did get to put uh, the the brains into that little puppet. <clears throat> You're responsible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those are all actions and things that. I, as a human being, can't even do all of those things. What is the thing that's been the most challenging function or expression or the most fascinating thing that you've built into one of these puppets? Uh, probably the most fascinating <laughs> one was one that we we sent to Tokyo. Now, this one, this customer had all kinds of really, at first they wanted everything. They wanted every feature we could pack into it. But then they also wanted it to be remote control. So they could set the puppet down, walk off stage and still control the eyes, the mouth and all of this as well. And then he he had some other great idea. He's like, well, it'd be really nice to have controls that I could put in my pocket so I could just reach down and, you know, hit a button. And so we kind of were playing around with it. We got the remote control Mm -hmm. stuff. We've done that before. But then I tried um, a microcontroller in one for the first time. And so here you can connect a Bluetooth app from your phone to this little microcontroller that also worked all of the servo motors that the regular radio controller could also work. So you could work this puppet with the regular brass triggers. You could work it with an, a radio controller. You can work it with an app from your phone. And on the app, too, also had voice commands. So you could kind of tell it what to do. And it would do it, which, you know, you could you could program in pre-expressions like happy, mad, or sad. And when you said that, all the different servos would activate those features of the puppet to give that expression. So that Did was you awesome. get to see this guy's act? Pardon me? Did you get to see this guy's act? It sounds amazing. I've, I've never seen the thing perform. <laughs> nope. Oh. Built it, shipped it off, and I, I haven't seen it since. So maybe it's out there somewhere. I've never really searched for it either. So it's... And it might have just been a private collector. You know, it's just hard to mm-hmm. say. And how long does it take you to actually make one of these things? I would say on general, like a standard standard build is 40 hours. So, and that's my part of it. I, you know, just the inside mechanic part. I build the stick that has the controls and then all the mechanisms are connected to the stick, which control the features. You know, and then we have people who do casting, and, and Tim has to do all the painting on these and, you know, assemble the bodies. He puts together the heads, and, you know, sometimes it's even sewing 
clothes together. You know, they may want a custom outfit for these. And so the, the whole process can take a long time, but the real problem is the wait period because we don't push these through very fast. You know, they just take time. And so if you want some of these, it, it's a very long wait. You have to kind of get on a waiting list. Yeah. Have you ever had one you didn't want to part with? You know, I like all of them. They're all hard to part with. And oddly enough, I don't have one for myself yet. One of these days I told myself I'd build one, but I don't know which character I'd build yet. So I haven't gotten <laughs> around to them. But um, yeah, they're all, they're all very like kind of connected. You know, they're like, not like little children in that sense. I've got kids. They're not that quite close, but I find that with anything I build though, it's, it's hard to let it go. But then again, too, you, you discover that you have to let it go. Any artist who makes something, they have to let the stuff just go because that's the whole process of you can't be attached to your work or you'll never get more work done. I'm comedian David Race in Los Angeles. I host a celebrity-filled paranormal talk show like no other. Monstrosity has great guests answering weird questions. You won't believe the combo of celebrities and paranormal experts who've been on this show. I guarantee you'll like Monstrosity or you get your time back. Go to monstrositypodcast.com right now and take a look. Yeah. Can you do one that looks like a person? Like if I wanted to have one made of Heidi just to hang around the office and terrify me? <laughs> See, I yes. was going to ask the same question, but I was going to ask if I if he would make one that looked like you so I could replace you. Oh, I see. There we go. <laughs> Yeah, we, we do a, we do portraits of people. So we'll uh, we did, you know, like a known figure, David Copperfield. He wanted one of himself, and so, you know, had all the measurements, pictures, photographs all taken, and you know, it it came out really good. We've done um, oh, quite a few people, you know, that uh, just amazing how close they can resemble it you know and then you know performing it's all another thing so if you can make this thing act like the person that it looks like they really come to life this would be great because we could have randy make puppets of us and then randy mm -hmm. jeanette could just control the puppets and we could she just already go, does well, she? well she does she yeah. controls us we are already the puppets what are we talking yeah. about <laughs> well and to that point what is the training or education for the puppeteer or the owner is there does it come with instructions on how to make smoke come out of the ears or is there a training they have to go through or are these people all just in natural pros that know what they're doing a little bit of both i mean they pick really where they want the controls we have a couple of different ways we can put them on the stick depending if you're left-handed right-handed uh, whether you want to control all of the triggers from the front of the stick or around the sides of the stick. So we kind of customize it to their needs. But yeah, they there's no real instructions. You just have to practice with these. That's that's how you do it. It really is like an instrument. And until your fingers can make those movements and you know that, you know, your index finger and your pinky pushed one way is going to make them look surprised compared to, you know, the opposite way and they may look angry. So it's a, just a training. And I, I know a lot of these people do it in front of the mirror. They just sit there and, and will practice that way. Now, you work with Tim Selberg, who is the designer you mentioned. Uh -huh. um, now, his, I guess, signature puppet is named George. And on Wikipedia, it says that he is a splatter-brained puppet. <laughs> Please explain. 
I'm not sure where that came from. I haven't read that Wikipedia on him. Okay. Because Googling it, I got absolutely nothing to do with puppets. Um, and so I was just wondering what that looked like. Like, does the head open up? Uh, we've had head opens up. We've had, uh, really? I've had one that came in. I didn't build it, but it came in for a repair to where you grab the whole back of the cranium. It lifts up and Tim carved what looked like an amazing brain inside there. So you can lift off the top of the head and inside you see a carved out brain. It was one of the dark, a darker figure, but you know, we will make any right. figure that people would like. So yeah, I got to just do some repair on that one, but um, I've done another one like for the uh, Craftsman's Legacy show where they wanted to be able to open up the back to see the mechanics inside, which normally we don't do. Normally all of these, I build them, it gets closed up, and and my work's hardly ever seen inside. It's, you know, other than if it comes back for repair, which fortunately that doesn't happen very often. Right. Now, the other one I saw on Wikipedia, tell me if they're yeah. wrong. They, Your sources are that, I know, thank you. I, I really need to stop saying Wikipedia when I ask the it, questions. It makes I me would, back Yeah. Doesn't help. <laughs> they say that Tim built or, or was known for a nude puppet that they describe as, quote, at, at, at time. Anatomically. Anatomically, Anatomically correct. correct. Is um, this true? Um, I don't think he's known for that. I think he has <laughs> built something that has um, anatomical correct features. We've had some right. very voluptuous women puppets that we have built, you know, so sure. we had uh, a really nice one that loved to just give you the middle finger. And it was a really uh, unique character as well. So <laughs> um, I don't think he's known for that. I mean, he's known for really his, you know, his real more classic figures. Do you ever work late at night or is that too much even for you? You know, I used to do almost all my work at night, you know, but it's just life gets hard and, and yeah. her memorials get earlier. And so I, I still work mostly at night, but a lot of times now I'll have to like go try to get some stuff on the weekends and stuff. But that was my go-to time. I loved, you know, 12 o'clock to two was my time to produce. What is it you think, or why should I say, um, I should say, do you think people love puppets? What is it about them? And especially in an era where you can build robots and all these, what is it about the puppet that has stood the test of time? Yeah, I'm not sure on that. That's a good point though. Even with soft puppets too, same thing. It's just, they have so much life in them and you, and you're so quickly attached and you're so quickly to kind of grant it life and not question, oh yeah, it's just a puppet. Cause it's like, you almost want to believe every one of these things are really the characters they're playing. I mean, you think about even Sesame street, all those puppets, you know, that grown up with. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I think uh, something that's just maybe a, a throwback to childhood that we all just enjoy. I'm not real sure, but I, I agree. I, there's very few people who don't like them. There are lots of people who say they scare them. There's many people who are scared of puppets, but uh, everyone seems to at least be somewhat enamored by them, whether it's for a good or bad reason. <laughs> right. <laughs> you mentioned earlier uh, your work on the movie Goosebumps, and there's a couple other films you guys have worked on. Are you, on top of creating just a puppet for use in the film, do they have other requirements that they need it to do that is maybe not the same thing that your puppeteer down the street would need? 
Um, it yeah, the Goosebumps one was a little different. They uh, it was a I think a Sony studio picture, but they flew the the puppeteer out to us, and we took some measurements. It actually ended up being you know kind of a short fella. So if we you know just went off of like my size or Tim's size, it might not have been the right setup for him because they wanted um controls for both hands and so they wanted them to be connected through a cable they didn't want any electronics because they were fearful that you know electronics can fail easier than mechanics can and so they wanted controls for the left and the right hand and so it was really helpful to have him out there to kind of you know size it up and be like yeah this is going to be comfortable because he's going to be doing a lot of work in uncomfortable positions underneath stools and tables and things like that so we kind of had to make sure that it was comfortable for him to be able to you know, go through a whole filming, you know, through the whole day, you know, those mm-hmm. long shoots. Is there a popular puppet or marionette that you as a professional look at and just think garbage? <laughs> popular one. Um, I mean, I, I still, I still even think... to the industry. <laughs> no. I, I think simple no. puppets are even as good too. You know, I think of, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, who are some of the, some of the really simple ones, you know, from like even Sesame street where you have letters talking, you know, it seems silly, mm-hmm. but you still kind of attribute a little bit of life into those, you know, really what would always be an inanimate object, but you still want to give it some life, even though it's, you know, a letter or a teacup or whatever the case may be. But I can't think of in particular a, a puppet that's in mainstream that I just was, would be appalled by or <laughs> I don't know. Just disgust me. That's hard. There's not many out there, to tell you the truth, either. You know, it's just, it's still kind of like fringe entertainment. Mm -hmm. What what is it about your studio that has set it apart to where people are finding you from all over the world and coming to you guys? Yeah, I mean, that's all attributed to Tim. Tim. Tim's made this business. I mean, he's been doing this since he's been 15 years old. He's sold puppets to, you know, all of the big guys, you know, Dunham, Terry Fader, all those guys he's made puppets for one time or another. And so, I mean, he, he's been doing this as a kid and for a really long time now. So he's, he's just really, you know, become the world known ventriloquist figure not necessarily for puppets you know we'll, we'll do some puppets but for vent figures probably the best like i don't i've never seen one from another manufacturer that i was like oh yeah this is better than ours maybe similar you know there are some good manufacturers out there as well but we're still just small scale you know us, you know we have a couple other people that work too we have another mechanic tony that works too and so it's kind of small scale nothing has been 3d printed we haven't gone commercial in that sense we still hand make everything like every part is handmade bent piece of stainless steel brass tube whatever parts we're using so i think just getting down to the quality of it knowing these things last for decades and decades you know for use and that's what i think has carried the name for so long and that's uh one of the things i was kind of wondering um if if puppetry is an industry, are you seeing things growing and changing, or is it still very much a craftsman's in, uh, industry, where the work is prized and valued because of the skill it takes to create one of these? I would say 
Yes and no. It depends on who the target market is for it. You know, there's certainly a place for inexpensive, cheap puppets for kids just to play around with things and get introduced to. And then there's also, you know, high end collector items as well. You know, it's I, I, I think today you can get some pretty sophisticated puppies, puppets that would be 3D printed, you know, which was never even a possibility before. You know, it's I think even. um I think Jeff Dunham even has a 3D printing system where he can 3D print out some puppets. And, you know, that technology, I think, has a place. I, I'm certainly not opposed to it, even though I like the old way of doing it. But, you know, it, there's a market for everyone. So I, I'd hate to see any of them not make it to market. We should have both both styles, you know. But but I'm, I'm mm -hmm. always a fan of the arts. I, I've been a fan of the arts forever. So I like handmade things. I like owning handmade things never really much of a commercial product guy, you know, just the mass produced items. They just don't seem to have, I don't know, the same, not necessarily even quality. Sometimes they're even better built, but it's something about, Oh, I don't know the, just the, I guess here, I guess here's a way to say it with these puppets. I've learned since we make all our own parts, commercial products that are made, are always not built the best way that they can be built or with the best parts, but they're built the best way that they can become profitable, which is nothing wrong with that. But I realize, like even with making puppets or if I'm repairing something, you know, I've come to the point where I say, I don't need to reuse their part that they had designed for this. I can outfit it with something else. It'll work maybe even better, but they wouldn't have used that because it would have not been cost effective when they first built that. So I kind of see that in a lot of products these days that they're built for profit, not necessarily long-term use. You know, you can see that in a lot of appliances that we have these days, but yeah, I mean, it's a different way of manufacturing. You know, it's, there's, there's a place for it all. For more information on Randy's work or to get your own custom Selberg figure, visit their website, selbergstudios.com. You can follow us on all the various socials. Our website is whythepodcast.com and has all sorts of additional stories and videos. It's also where you can sign up for our newsletter. We're also on YouTube if you're into that kind of thing. And don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes, because if you don't, We'll call your mother and tell her that she's completely right. You would look so much prettier if you smiled more. Why the Podcast is part of Mudhouse Media. Today's show was produced by myself and Heidi Hegquist. Our reluctant executive producers are John Sovey and Sandy Stone. Our willing executive producers are Rachel Allen and Randy Chenette. Our graphic designer is Samantha Mustonen. The theme song was performed by the Electrosyntho Magnetic Polyphonic Orchestra. This one's for Philippe. Thanks for joining us. Flash, we're coming home. Nigel, is that you? Are you here, Nigel?